I don't know what went wrong in this individual's head, but anyone that has these feelings, they have a responsibility to address them. My goal was to put the jury in the victim's shoes to the extent I could. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous, multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. I'm your host, Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. And as our listeners may notice, the big booming voice of Jim Clemente is not joining me. Jim is still on assignment working on his Criminal Minds episode, which will be out in less than a couple of weeks. We will definitely announce all over social media when you guys can catch that. But I I want you all to know that even though we don't have Jim Clemente, And some people, don't tell Jim I said this, might think Ed is actually even more exciting because we have a very special guest. I've already previewed it a little bit. His name is Ed. I want to introduce him to you guys. You're going to be really excited, I think, to hear from this man whose name is? I'm Ed Heiner. And now, Ed, I have already told our listeners that you are a very special guest. Can you give our listeners your background? What have you done your life? What has been your living? Wow. Well, let's just start at my career, right? Okay. Okay. I was, uh, I'm a, a retired Navy SEAL, 20 years, uh, nine deployments around the world, you know, obviously with 9 11, did a uh, bunch of combat tours. I'm also a best selling author now. Yes, Ed, well, we have to plug your book. What is it? It's First Fast and Fearless How to Lead Like a Navy SEAL. How to Lead Like a Navy SEAL. So if our listeners read your book, they will all become incredibly successful. Very much so. That's right. <laughs> so everyone right. should get Ed's book for sure. It's fantastic. We may have an announcement soon about some work that Ed is doing with us, but we can't make that yet. We can't mm-hmm. make that announcement yet, but it's a little teaser. And Ed, you are the first Navy SEAL we've ever had on Best Case, Worst Case. Well, well, that's good. Is that the best case scenario? Is that the worst case? <laughs> well, I think I our think listeners best, are going to decide. I, mean, I don't know. Jim's not here, no. so he'd probably make some insulting comment right now. Um, but what we're going to do first is I'd like to do something a little different in this episode. I certainly want you to come back so that we can talk to you about best cases, worst cases, which for you, I assume, are missions. But 
We've had a terrible tragedy in this country again. I don't know how many times we can say these same words that we've had a terrible tragedy, and yet it just keeps happening again and again. And it was right here in California, less than 12 hours ago, as we are recording the podcast, there was a mass shooting in Thousand Oaks, California, which for our listeners outside of California is only about 45 minutes from LA. So it's here in Southern California. It's close by. And just to give everyone a quick overview for those of you who haven't heard about it, There was apparently, uh, the gunman has been identified, he's dead, we won't use his name because we, Jim and I, don't think that we should glorify people who engage in this kind of behavior. But he has been identified as a former Marine, 28 or 29-year-old former Marine, and he has managed to kill, as of this recording, at least 12 people in a nightclub, totally defenseless, dancing at college country night. Most of the victims were young people around the age of, you know, 20, 21, 22. And Ed, I think that now would be a great time for us to give our listeners some information and some perspective that I think only a military veteran can give them. One of the things you and I talked about earlier was that police officers and agents, although we've had some here on the podcast, who have generally do not even pull their service weapon during their entire career, much less find themselves under gunfire. So what I wanted to do is talk first about what that is like. I think it's important that we all understand what these innocent victims went through. They're dancing, the music is loud, and then some people describe hearing pop, pop, pop. Now, you as a trained military operator would understand, I assume, immediately what you're hearing. Can you describe for our listeners what it sounds like? What does real gunfire sound like? Well, it depends on the scenario, right? The distance from it, the caliber of it, the pistol versus a rifle, indoors, outdoors, sound that is getting absorbed. But you can listen to the rate of fire and you can start to figure out what it is uh, most. It can be. It can be confusing at a distance. Is it? Is it a backfire? Is it something popping? Or is it? Is it actually a shot being fired? You listen for the bassants, the crack of it, the sound of it, and then you do listen to rate of fire, and you can figure it out pretty quickly what kind of weapon it is, most likely. Well, of course, I've I've heard guns being fired, uh, not inside, not indoors. Well, that's not true. I have been in indoor ranges, so I I know what it sounds like, and it is different than what it sounds like on TV and in the movies. On TV and the movies, there's just the handguns always boom. You know, there's just yeah. this big boom, and so I think when the public hears gunfire inside a bar, like they did last night, they immediately misidentified it. It's firecrackers outside. Or it's the something from the sound system popping, like the speakers popping. And so people don't even know they need to right. run for cover. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate people actually have to think about this at this stage. But it has been frequent enough in, in our society that, you know, I think it's better to react to something versus not react to it. So assume it's a gunfire. And I think you should have, you know, and I wasn't there and I wasn't there at this, in the situation. So it's hard to armchair quarterback it. But in these type of scenarios, I mean, you have to have. One of the things we do in the SEAL teams is every possible scenario you, you have in your mind and you train and rehearse this over and over. It's called immediate action drills. And those immediate action drills, shots fired, what do you do? And it's a choreographed movement. When you see people you are getting shot at, they hit the ground and then they immediately start to go into this choreographed movement. Boom, boom, boom. And then we can overwhelm an enemy doing that. So I think what is important to people is to actually sit with themselves and try to figure out what to do. Have a reaction already built in your brain. 
And that's, I think that's an important part, not being stunned. The last thing you want to do is just freeze. Well, it's so interesting you say that, Ed. I have a, a dear friend who's a Secret Service agent. And for eight years, he was on what's called PBD, Presidential Protective Detail. And I would ask him, because part of what they have to do on PBD is stand post. They have to stand outside the Oval Office or outstand the, outside the hotel room door or wherever it is they are. They have to stand for a long period of time. Yeah. And I would say to him, how do you just stand there? What do you do? And he said, Oh, well, it's never boring because he runs through in his mind. What ifs? What ifs? Every possible scenario. If a shooter comes down the hall, if there's an right. explosion, if there's a fire, if the president comes rushing out because something's happened inside the room that I'm not That's aware right. of, what am I going to do? Where are the doors? Where's the vulnerability? Where are the cameras? You know, and so he would go through and he would say he would just do it over and over again. And he said in a, you know, eight hours of sort of ha having to do that, he would run through the scenario multiple times so that if it happened, he would know instantly what he was going to do. Yeah. And what he had to do. That is it. That's trained in people in his profession, my profession, everywhere you're going. You're, 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 it's not like you're super paranoid, but you're, it's just a mental game that you're playing. You're looking around and figuring out what's the next step. You know, everybody goes, wow, you're SEAL, so you must be like ninja martial arts. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, one, we have two guns on us at all times. But the way we look at any kind of survival street fighting that we train to is how, you know, how to move amongst crowds and stuff is always weaponize. You know, people accessorize, right? Put purses on and whatnot. But for us, it's weaponized. I accessorize. Yes. You accessorize. There's definitely accessories. But when you're in a when you're in a street environment or a bar or something like that, just start thinking to yourself: if something, when something kicks off, what are you going to do? And then where's a weapon? And Fire what do you mean by that? Like what Fire kind of weapon? Fire extinguishers, alarms, chairs, pull over chairs, pull over tables, throw beer glasses. We always, if you're going to get in a fight, don't be empty-handed. That's kind of a philosophy we have. And I, I think, you know, you can't not take action. Well, so let's talk about what you do. You're a normal person. You go out with your family well, you. <laughs> to dinner, right? I mean, I don't know yeah. what SEALs do, but on your off time, at least television tells me that you all go out and drink a lot, as do prosecutors, by the way, <laughs> right. and cops. We, we all have that in common. So you go out, you go to dinner. Are you still, even though you're not a SEAL anymore, well, I mean, I guess you're always a SEAL, right? Once a SEAL, I always didn't a SEAL. I didn't want to say it. Sorry, but you're not an active duty I'm SEAL dormant, anymore. So. That's right. You're just dormant, waiting, waiting for the next event to happen. But when you go out to dinner, or when you go to a club, or if you were going line dancing at a club uh, playing country music, I don't know if you would do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. But, <laughs> but I do have a fantasy to get on uh, Dancing with Stars. Well, okay. So if you were if you were going to go out to a club and practice your moves. Do you do that? Do you look around where are the exits, where am I sitting, where are the possible weapons, or do you just go and enjoy yourself? Well, that still is enjoyable. It's just a, a mental process. It's like any other process, getting your keys. You know, if I come in, I put my keys, my wallet, my stuff at one spot. It's just a process of doing it. It's not a strain to me. It's just you look and, you know, if you're in a crowd with a bunch of people and they're kind of violent, well, you, you start to feel those things. But you, yeah, I think it's natural for all of us to look for exits, you know, weapons. If you hear someone getting in an argument or something, you're either looking to leave or get a weapon or mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's just a natural process for us. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think a paranoid and I don't think it'll hurt people to nowadays to understand is we know that these shootings should not happen when God knows we don't want them to happen, but they have happened, you know, and it's a reality and it's going to be a reality. Um, so at least mentally prepare yourself. A little bit. Well, I think one of the things that's most disturbing about this particular latest mass shooting is that the perpetrator is apparently a Marine Corps huh. veteran. Yeah, that's And it's distressing. I love the Marine Corps. My father was a Marine. I have cousins who were Marines. 
And I love the Marine Corps. I have tremendous respect for them. And I'm sorry to tell you this, Ed, uh, face to face. And I know I'm taking my life in my hands, <laughs> but the Marines have the best dress uniforms they do. in the oh, military. They do. I so, so I have to say, as a Southern girl, mm. my heart flutters whenever I see a Marine in his dress blues. But it's so shocking that someone would take Uncle Sam's money and training and time and use it against civilians, right? I mean, that's distinctly the opposite of what you were trained, right? Yeah. Uh, Look, even with people with PTSD and stuff, I mean, you've got to seek help if 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 that's the case, something like that. But see, warriors, when you look at true warriors, they're not, it's it's maybe a little different, some people think. It's you are a protector, a defender, a steward of society. You're not a murderer. You're not a killer. And I don't know what went wrong in this individual's head, but anyone that has these feelings, they have a responsibility to address them. Yeah, I just, it's it's despicable. Well, it is. That's a great word for it, Ed, despicable. And I think, you know, we're obviously recording this on Thursday. This happened overnight Wednesday night. The podcast will be released on Friday. So there may have been other developments in the meantime that our listeners will now know about facts that you and I don't have at hand uh, this afternoon. But it does certainly look, obviously, like a completely intentional and a planned act. There are reports that he even had some kind of smoke device. Now, I don't know whether those were what we all know of as flashbangs, whether he had smoke grenades, whether he had some combination of those things, or I've heard it referred to on the news this afternoon as a smoke device. I don't even know what that means. But it does look like this was a planned armed assault on mm-hmm. this bar. Yeah, that's, that's just uh, unacceptable. Well, it is. And so he's trained to kill. I mean, obviously, every man and woman in our military is trained to kill, at least on some basic level. So let's talk a little bit about being under fire and what that's like. You know, as a prosecutor, when I would prepare cases for trial and when I would be in trial, my goal was to put the jury in the victim's shoes to the extent I could, because I wanted them to understand what that victimization was like. I wanted them to feel empathy, sympathy, Mm -hmm. uh, understand how bad the crime was and how evil the offender. Those were always my goals. Sometimes I feel like it is so hard to go to the grocery store, prepare meals for the week. My schedule is hectic. Is it school night with the kids? I work late a lot. So maybe I should try, I was thinking to myself, one of those meal delivery services. But how do you choose? There are so many different meal delivery options out there. I have picked Home Chef. Home Chef offers 16 different delicious meal options each week from steak to chicken to seafood, vegetarian even. You can mix and match based on your own preferences. And once you join, it's as simple as selecting your meals and customizing your delivery dates. Your box will arrive at your door each week with recipe cards and fresh pre-proportioned ingredients. And then voila, you have a home-cooked meal in about 30 minutes. There are even five-minute lunch options. Home Chef offers flavorful meals anyone can cook. I love getting my Home Chef boxes. They are put together so sensibly. The meat is divided from the other ingredients. The ingredients for each meal is divided into a little bag. So it is impossibly easy for you to design, create, cook, prepare, and eat a delicious meal every time you get your box from Home Chef. Go to homechef.com slash best case right now for $30 off your first order. That's homechef.com slash best case for $30 off your first order. homechef.com slash best case. 
One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, but most of us do it wrong. That's why I bought a Quip electric toothbrush. It has a built-in two-minute timer which pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides. Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or even clean the way we're supposed to evenly. Quip brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Three out of four of us use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective. How great is it to get new brush heads delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule? I love Quip. It is so portable. It's sleek. It's easy for me. I have a very hectic travel schedule. So it's nice that I don't have to bulk up my bags with one of those big electric toothbrushes. Instead, I use my sleek Quip Electric, which has a great carrying case and makes it sanitary even when I have it in a hotel. And that's why I love Quip and why Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. It starts at just $25. If you go to getquip.com slash best case right now, you get your first refill pack free with a Quip Electric toothbrush. That's your first refill feel pack free at getquip.com slash best case. So I want to do that a little bit here today for our listeners. I want you to help us go inside that bar, even though we weren't there and describe, because I know you've experienced it, what it's like to be under fire in a way that most of us hope to God never will. Well, it depends on the scenario. And, and I've, I've been in some, you know, some shady situations where I was exhilarated and some shady things where I was petrified. Wait, wait, you had fear? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lots of it. I mean, there were times that, uh, yeah, it was just some things I didn't think would scare me and scared the hell out of me. And then some things that I thought were, would scare me didn't. And they were just exhilarating. And, um, but the point is, you really have to act. You have to do something. Like, even in combat, if you're getting pinned down and you're shooting and you take cover, well, you're going to have to move. It's, it's just, you know, you don't, you don't want to die in place. So you got to take action. You have to weaponize. You have to move. You have to scream. You have to turn on alarms, whatever it is. But how do you do that? I mean, I think for me, you know, I've never been under fire. I hope I'm never under fire. And I feel like I completely understand the people who curl into a ball and lay there and get shot. Um, I, do, yeah. I think I might do that. I don't know what I would do. I mean, I think I'd run. Uh, would I go after the shooter? Oh my God, I bet I wouldn't. I mean, I guess if it was my family or any kids nearby, I hope I would take that action. But I don't know if I would, and an awful lot of people don't. So how do you overcome, I guess is my question, how do you overcome that fear, panic response to act either to get yourself out or to stop the shooter? But one, you understand sitting there is not going to help you. Um, two is, you know, we, we do a lot of training and we have an advantage because we, we train constantly and we do mental training as well. But people have to kind of take this subject in their mind and think through it and rehearse it in your mind enough. So because when you really are stressed out and things are scary, you will do what you train to do. That's we know that pilots know that, you you know, all those things. So you have to rehearse it in your mind. I know it's unfortunate you have to do that, but you, you got to rehearse it in your mind and you have to take action. Someone has to take action. They have, you know, if a lot of people are taking action, these shooters will be at an extreme disadvantage at some point. Well, and this shooter apparently had one Glock right. 45 caliber handgun. Uh, he apparently had extended magazine or had access to other magazines. Um, regardless, he managed to kill 12 people. And I think that what our listeners would like to know is how do you train yourself out of that fear response? Is it as a civilian? So I'm yeah. not going to go into the military right now. <laughs> they would probably wouldn't take me. I'm not going to go to the military and get trained and listen to gunfire all day, every day. So as a normal person, how do you suggest I 
find a way to go around or go over or get over the hump of my fear and panic in a situation like that? Well, you're going to have to do it mentally because you're not, you're not going to have an opportunity to train unless you, you can dry run in your mind. But, you know, you I use key phrases and I, I laugh at you know, my family's. What do, you, what do you do before you blow off a door, you know, make a room entry, you know, with possibly close enough to smell the bad guy's breath. You know, I have certain words I say, I don't think I can say them on this thing, but they're usually <laughs> curse words and they're usually violently aggressive. And I just say that to myself and, you know, kind of F it, I'm going. And just, I don't know, emotionally it tips me, um, whatever, but just talk to yourself. You know, you got to do something, you got to move. Well, I've always heard that a moving target is much harder to hit than right. a stationary one. So hiding or just dropping to the floors doesn't seem like a good response. No. It's generally going to not be a good response unless you're a distance from the shooter. But, and I don't want to give anyone bad advice, but you ha- you're going to have to act. You got to do something. You got to move. You know. Yeah, I mean, basically, you have fight, yeah, flight, flight or freeze, or hide. Freeze is you know. There's yeah. another response. Some people have that that response, and that's what hiding is. Just like I, I just don't want this to be happening, um, but it is happening. And you know, move. You know, it's just so hard to understand what those people would have been going through in the first few seconds when uh, he starts shooting, people start dying, and then everyone understands that it's a mass attack. So you've got the first few people who effectively, in my opinion, I mean, for what that's worth, had no chance, no matter what their training was. They could have been military members who were even armed, maybe. But the surprise of someone walking in and starting to shoot, he would have succeeded in killing some number of people. Yeah, absolutely. The question is, as a society, as civilians, as just normal people with regular jobs, what can we do in this circumstance so that so many people don't die? Act. Someone in that room has got to do something. And the do more you think, doing it, I think, the better off we are. So this, I didn't really intend to go here. This is yeah. sort of a philosophical question, Ed. But do you think as a society, and I'm sure you have a, a real opinion as a seal you might not give me, but do you think as a society, we just can't do it? We just can't defend ourselves? I mean, are, are we just incapable of being strong? Uh, no, we are capable of it. I mean, because I've seen normal people that would normal but could do some extraordinary things that you're like, just I'm in awe of what they were willing to do. I mean, you got to make a mental, mental commitment to it. I think most citizens should look at themselves, and I, I do, as my personal ethos is I am a protector. I'm here, you know, if not me, who type of mindset is that society owes it to each other to take care of each other. Um, we've seen people, you know, there's a lot of people have done a lot of heroic things in our society. And, and uh, just you got to act. You got to weaponize. You you, gotta, you have to do something. You can't just sit in one spot and die. Well, and there were heroes, I want to say, yeah. in this uh, violent attack. There were heroes who had the presence of mind. That again, I hope in the same situation I would have, but I don't know that. Had the presence of mind to take chairs, break windows, and help people get out. One girl in particular yep. told a story of how uh, a young man at a table next to her, someone she didn't even know, when the shooting started, took her bodily and threw her under a table. And then I guess as quickly assess the situation. And as that window was being broken close to them, he bodily picked her up and literally threw her out the window. Wow. Now that guy is thinking clearly. He's thinking rationally. He's risking his own life. He's saving a stranger. Yeah. I just, it makes me feel emotional. He's got a hero soul. I know. It makes me feel, he is a protector. He's the sheepdog. He's, He's definitely the sheepdog. And I'm always so grateful when I hear stories like that because it does give me hope. But why did he have to do that? 
You know, why are we in the situation where we have people and, you know, Jim and I have debated guns. We've debated the death penalty. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows how I feel about it. So I don't want to get into a political discussion about guns. What I want to talk about really is what turns somebody into a killer? You know, I thought you said something so interesting earlier. And that is, oh, everybody thinks, you know, we're in the military or I'm a SEAL, so I'm a killer. That's not what you're no. trained to do. You're a protector. There's a difference. Yeah. I mean, obviously you do some bad things, you know, but you never intentionally hurt someone unless you have to. That's just a golden rule. I mean, as that, having that responsibility and that privilege of being a SEAL, even when you retire like myself, you know, you have to earn that every day. And that's, that's one of our mantras is, you know, yeah, yeah, you get all these medals and stuff, but you got to earn that every day. And that's your job. I mean, maybe I grew up, you know, in the South where chivalry was taught being a gentle man. And that was part of the protector, you know, right or wrong. I don't know, but you know, that was built in us. And then I went to officer candidate school and they still teach it. And it's, you know, it's just part of our society. And so I think the more people look at the society as something that they owe a responsibility to, the better off we all are. Well, and I, again, this is kind of philosophical, but, um, you know, as a prosecutor, I saw the advent of the Internet uh, during my time as a prosecutor and watched all the wondrous, incredible things it can do, including things like this podcast. I don't mean to say we're wondrous, incredible, but you know what I mean. Um, but what I also saw are the horrible things that the internet has wrought in, in some respects toward children, child sexual abuse, predators finding commonality and anonymity on the internet. So there's also lots of terrible things. But I wonder whether the social media age where everyone seems today, and of course my dad said the same thing 30 years ago, so I don't know that it really changes, but everyone today seems to be very me, me, me. You know, look at me, my 15 minutes, it's all about me. And I just wonder how that impacts anyone's ability to be a sheepdog instead of a sheep. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, in some sense, the, the newest generation, I, I'm convinced that in 20 years, we're going to have problems solved that we can't imagine being solved, pollution problems and all these other things. But, you know, with these, the young generation, because they're very concerned about environmental issues, they're concerned about different social issues, um, but I think they have it in them. And I think every generation has it in them. If people just reflected on, hey, what can I do for you? It's my responsibility to take care of society. It's my responsibility. I have a lot of rights, but rights are no good unless they come with responsibilities, right? I mean, that's that's the kind of the general rule. I mean, that goes back since man was, you know, been men and women, you know, I think is that you have a responsibility to the herd, to the tribe, if you will. Or- well, you think that because you're a SEAL, but I really am. I mean, listen. You, you're the kind of person who went to war. <laughs> you literally went to war. And yeah. so I think you have a different personality than most people. Do you think, I know this is really hard to assess yourself yeah. and you, you know, worked with other SEALs, but do you think there are just that few of you? Are there just so few of you who are capable of being warriors today? Uh, maybe so. It might be. It, it, it's not for everyone, of course, but I think people can make a choice in their mind to look after each other and look after other people. And just see the world in that way instead of what can I get out of? What what do I owe? It's just a healthy, it makes you feel better about yourself, to be honest. I think it's a healthier way to live is, you know, one of the principles I teach and corporate people love this is I teach the mom method of leadership, right? What is that? Mission, others, me. So when you make decisions in that type of role, if you make those type of decisions, mission first, others next, me third, everyone will understand tough decisions that you make. If they look at it and go, he's being selfless, he's taking himself out of the equation, even though I don't agree with his decision, it's okay. And that's a seal principle, right? Well, yeah, it is. It's, it's you know, um, as the saying goes, we eat in the back of the line. 
you know, as leaders eat last. And we, when beginning of our training, when the guy shows up, if you're an officer, all the other you know guys go through the line and you're in the back. If you run out of time to eat, you don't eat. So it's a kind of that leaders eat last principles. What can I do for you? Because serving others and serving is that makes you happier. Well, I think too that the thing that gets lost in a case like this, where we're talking about this murder and the police are hard at when the FBI are hard at work investigating, trying to figure out motive. Are there any other people involved? You know, I, I think we'll probably find like we do in almost every one of these cases, he was acting alone. And so, so from the justice standpoint, the case is over. But from a learning standpoint, it definitely isn't. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you was when you find yourself in a situation like this, you have said, okay, I, we have to act. But isn't don't first we have to figure out that we're not alone, that we don't act alone, that we have to have a bit of a tribe. Because to take down a shooter like this or to get a bunch of people out of this bar, people had to act kind of like a tribe. They yeah. were acting in concert. That seems to me that the whole idea of team is a SEAL principle. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously we have immediate action drills. We have things choreographed that we all start acting as soon as it happens. But just as a group, I mean, you can you can throw chairs. You can, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't just sit there. I, I just, it, but it's a mental commitment. You got to make the choice mentally. You know, um, better die fighting. You know, is a term we say. So, you know, get after it. So. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, and I really appreciate the seal perspective on this. And I think it's just it is amazing to me the heroes that and we'll probably hear of more heroics that happened inside that bar. We've had reports already of people who threw themselves on top of others to shield them from the bullets. And and that kind of instinct to me is simply stunning. How do you think or what do you think is the best thing that the Navy does to train SEALs to protect each other, even if it means self-sacrifice? Well, I've thought about this a lot. And, you know, the adversity that we go through and people find this very strange to hear because I've really thought about this a lot. And it meant a lot to me is, is that there is the, the bond that people talk about, the brotherhood that talk about. No, it's not it's, when you really peel away that onion, you take away all your your ego and you know your, all your self-defense mechanisms that make up our personality. It's because you love that person. It's like a family love. It's a you know, it's, it's something that you're willing, you know, because you, you can fight with your family. But at the same time, you're going to fight the neighbor if they come after your family. And that that's the bond that we have. And that's the commitment we have. That's why they always say, you know, warriors don't fight what's in, they hate what's in front of them. They fight for what's behind them and beside them. You know, and, and our society right now is very angry. A lot of politics. And we don't even want to get near that. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of anger. There is. And that, we see the media showing it and it's just shoving it down our necks, social media shoving it down our necks. And we're not that different. Of course we're not. Democrats, whatever. We're not different. We have the same values. We just believe in a different way of getting there necessarily. So I think it would be help us all as a society to just lay off that. Yeah, the anger definitely isn't helpful. And no. I certainly don't blame. I said recently that I didn't, that words don't make kooks act like kooks. But it doesn't help the atmosphere. It and doesn't. I think that atmosphere leads kooks to think in a certain way that maybe they wouldn't otherwise. Like a mob. These yeah. mobs, they get out and do stuff that normally they wouldn't do by themselves. Right. But this mob is the internet, this the news media. It's the things that get in your brain and saturate you to anger. And I think that is part of the problem. I really do. I, I don't watch any of it anymore. I don't watch, you know, I, I stay away from that stuff because I don't want that kind of hate in my brain. Yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, I really appreciate your coming to talk to us about yeah. this, this uh, you know, current event in the news with this terrible shooting. And I think your military training obviously informs a lot of what we've talked about today with respect to the shooter and his training and the advantage that he had over those poor, innocent, unarmed souls inside that bar. I'm sure we'll know more tomorrow. And I hope that you'll come back so we can talk about some of your exciting SEAL missions and more about <laughs> your SEAL principles. And I'd yeah. really like you to tell our listeners one more time the name of your book. The book is First, Fast, Fearless, How to Lead Like a Navy SEAL. Ed, thank you so much for joining me on this thank edition you. of Best Case, Worst Case. And to everyone out there hearing this podcast, stay safe. Thanks for listening. Until next time on Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clemente at Empire Studios, L.A. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's D, the number two, L, dot org.